I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Monday means EJ Raddick. How are you, buddy? I am good, John. How are you today? Well, I got so many different directions to go into, but because it got such a reaction, as it usually does, the Wilson hit on Carlo. Seven-game suspension, most of that because of reputation. But you peruse social media and even just you know the internet in general. People seem to be fairly split. He wasn't targeting the head. The head wasn't hit first. This is solely on reputation. You saw the hit. What did you think? What did you think of it? Well, I didn't like it for a variety of reasons. Um, because, like, first of all, the player was engaged with another player. No, I'm, I'm big on that. And I, it's funny because I've had conversations with guys in player safety and people around the league about that, you know, making that a rule. Like in the NFL, I believe it's a rule. You can't hit a player that's engaged with someone else. So that's a penalty. And I think that should be a penalty in hockey. The problem is because plays happen so quickly in hockey and it's a, it's a nonstop kind of game. Uh, can it be clear enough, uh, you know, or is it a slippery slope we go down when, like, a guy, you know, when is a guy actually engaged with another player? You know, do we know exactly? Like, in this case, I think it was pretty clear that Carlo was engaged with, uh, with the other player. I think it was Rana, but I'm not 100% sure. But, and then Wilson came in and delivered the blow that he did. Um, I think that the other thing I did, so that's one thing. I thought he was already engaged with the player. I thought he did come in high. Now there's no rule against there's no rule against hitting a guy who's engaged. There's no rule against uh, hitting a player high. There's a rule against hitting a guy in the head, right? The head contact. But there's no rule against hitting a guy high. So now you have to determine: okay, was it a high hit or was it a hit with direct head contact? Apparently there wasn't because he wasn't suspended for that. He was suspended for boarding. Um, so you know, and I, there was like I said, there's a number of reasons I didn't like it. That was another one: the, the fact that the, the player was kind of in a defenseless position or a vulnerable position, and uh, you know, Wilson took advantage of that. Again, that is not a penalty. Uh, you know, so I guess what I'm saying, Don, is I didn't like it for a variety of reasons. I don't think it's a hit we want to see in the game. I don't have a big problem with Wilson getting suspended for seven games, but I think the problem that they have moving forward is is they said they suspended him for boarding. That's kind of not the usual boarding suspension. And so I wonder if they've created a Pandora's box for the next time a play similar to this happens. How do they react if it's not, if the player involved is not named Tom Wilson? Yeah. So, you know, so that's, I think, the, the question moving forward. But for me, as someone who is the parent of, uh, of a young son who plays hockey, who is a coach in youth hockey uh, organizations who sees now up to the level of 16 years of age with his big, strong kids playing all the time, and watching these guys play in the National Hockey League, um, you know, there are some things to me, like, that I think are just, you know, that are, you just have to be aware of. Yeah. And that was a really reckless, 
dangerous, kind of unnecessary play, too. Because the other thing that bothers me is on that play, Ron is in on the player. They teach you all the time. First man on the puck, first man on the, on the, on the body, second man on the puck. So, like, if you're Tom Wilson there, you really should. Where's, why aren't you going for the puck there? I mean, isn't that you want puck possession? I mean, you're right. playing with good players. Get the puck, move it to the point, go low to high, let's get a shot, let's get a chance. Instead, he comes in and uh, he delivers a blow to an unsuspecting player, and it was a high hit. Now, others will say, well, when you hit a guy, the force of the hit brings the player up, you know, upward. I, you know, I get that, but I do think that if you want to deliver a hit there and you're a big man like Tom Wilson, it is incumbent on you to bend your knees, drop down lower, and drive through the middle of the body. And that's not what happened. So like he came up, his hands were kind of crossed and delivering that kind of body hit, and he was up. Now, yeah, did his body go upward as they made contact? Yeah, that happened. Right. But he, he started upwards, and that's where instead of if you want to deliver that blow, get your knees bent, you know you're a big, strong guy, and get in low and get to the body. But, you know, again, I can, we can have these arguments forever. I can talk to people in hockey that will argue with me back and forth forever. At the end of the day, when I saw it, just the, just the look of it, Don, I didn't like it, but I don't know if the way things were applied makes sense based on the rule book, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. you Just watching it from the naked eye, right? People get all caught up in, was the, te- the head targeted? Was the initial contact shoulder to head? I just look at... Carlo, to me, looks vulnerable, right? He's up against the glass. His head's up against the glass. If he gets hit hard enough, it's going to cause damage. And the reason it's going to cause damage is because he's engaged with another player and he's defenseless against the boards, all right? Now, if that's any other player, if that's a player that's never been suspended before, then maybe you give them the benefit of the doubt. But when you have someone that has had a history of this, as difficult as it is to um, figure out intent... Well, in this case, maybe it's not that difficult considering it's somebody who's been suspended multiple times before. So I can then take the leap that he was looking to inflict damage that goes beyond the normal hockey play. And that's the way I assessed it when I saw it. Now, would I have, would I have, would I have thought that, say, if that hit was from, you know, I don't know, just name a player, Capo Caco, okay? Or just a, a skilled player who's not known for playing physically, you could say, all right, well, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But when is it is the number one guy that is involved in these controversies, then I don't think it's much of a leap to say he looked to inflict serious harm on a player that is now day-to-day with an upper body injury and was certainly uh, injured. So I really don't have a problem with anything as far as him getting suspended yeah. seven games. Yeah, and, and, and like, again, I, I didn't like it, and the fact that he got suspended for seven games doesn't really bother me, but I think as trying to be as objective as they can be, I think the problem you do have is that I don't know if the rules are actually written in the rule book right now to support what ended up yeah. being, what ended up happening, and I think that the composition committee and the GMs I think really have to look at that and decide whether they want to whether they want to insert a rule about a player that is engaged into the rules, yeah. or whether they want to insert uh, you know different wording to some of, of the rules. Because it is like I said, it's a slippery slope. And you know, as much as we as in the media fans on the outside, we look at it and say, well, Tom Wilson, he's got this reputation. 
The league tries not to look at it that way. The league tries to look at each play in, in an individual way, and then once they determine if there was something that was negative in the play or if it was a suspension, a suspendable type play, then they go to the player and the history. They're not really supposed to do that prior to that, and they don't. So, again, for us, we can say that all day long. Yeah, Tom Wilson, we know his history, but they, by their own discussion, their own conversation, the way they do things at the Department of Player Safety and in the National Hockey League, they look at it as like we look at these things kind of in a vacuum. Each play is different. We determine whether there's something a foul, and if there is, then we look at the circumstances of, you know, the, if there's a player that's been injured, who the player is, what the history is. And in this case, I guess Tom Wilson was outside of the window of repeat offender as well. So, anyway, it's, uh, you know, to sum up my thoughts again, I, as, as someone who just watched the play, I didn't like it, and yeah. I'm glad that the league took action in some way. Um but I do think they've got some work to do in terms of figuring out how they're going to handle that type of play in the future. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The other one, there's so many rumors swirling about Jack Eichel and what's going to happen with him in Buffalo. And... You know, I, I got a chance to do um, the pre and post last night for the Buffalo Saber for the um, the Ranger game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and and the game before against New Jersey, and and Dave Maloney's opinion has been, you know, we got so many young kids, let it let it cook a little bit, let it go, and he seemed to be kind of downplaying the whole. This is where you take all your young talent and go out and make the big splash. I mean, how do you feel about that? Not just for the Rangers, but a lot of young teams that that have collected a lot of young talent. When is the right time to go forward, and when's the right time to just say, hey, you know, let's be patient. Let's see these guys play together. Let's see if we can maybe not have to make a deal, that maybe we can develop the next Jack Eichel or the next player we're trying to trade for within our own organization. Well, I think it's always better to try to draft and develop players. I mean, it's hard Mm. to acquire really good players. I mean, the Rangers were able to do that with Artemi Panarin, but that's because he was an unrestricted free agent and because he wanted to come to the Rangers, and the Rangers had the cap room and the money to make it happen, right? I mean, all those things had to come together, and they don't come together all the time. And sometimes, even when they do come together, it doesn't play out. I mean, Buffalo signed Taylor Hall to a one-year contract thinking, oh, this is going to be a great fit for us. He has two goals in 23 games. So I think it's always best to draft and develop players. When you think about Buffalo in particular, um, I think the owners have the best intentions. Uh, Terry Pagula and Kim Pagula uh, have done in there. They've spent the money. They've used the resources. They actually have you know, two franchises now with the Bills. The Bills are doing really well. The Sabres, it's just been a mess. They're going to miss the playoffs for the 10th straight year. Um, I think the hires at the key positions have been really bad um, for whatever reason. Um, the last two... The three general managers had virtually no experience uh, in the job, nor did they go out and hire someone to work above that person that did have experience that could help that person grow and develop into the job. Uh, the last two head coaches they had had virtually no head coaching experience uh, in the NHL. We think about Phil Housley and Ralph Kruger. Ralph Kruger coached for a lockout short season in Edmonton. 
Uh, he was he was removed after that, and then he went and has been was a president in the British uh, English soccer Premier Soccer League, I believe, something of that along those lines. Where he wasn't even a coach; he was like the president of the organization. Outside of coaching at the World Cup of Hockey, that was it, and that was a short tournament with really good players on his team, and he did well with the uh, with hockey with uh, Team Europe. But at the end of the day, I think they've really failed their players with uh, you know these decisions. And so now you're here with, you know, Kevin Adams is the, is the general manager and uh, Ralph Kruger is the coach. I think the first thing I would do is fire Ralph Kruger. I'm not big on getting on any of these shows, John, as you know, and saying, you know, hey, guy's got to be fired. But, you know, Ralph Kruger, I'm sure he's a terrific person. He's a really smart guy. He's been around sports and hockey for a long time, but he just looks way over his head to me in this particular circumstance. I think his his demeanor is kind of dour, and I think that's the mood of the situation in Buffalo. I think they need to bring in somebody that's A, experienced, B, has a winning track record, and C, more importantly, can come in there and, and lift up this group mm-hmm. and to embrace these players and say to a Jeff Skinner, like, you know, you are our guy. We are play- you are, you're going to be our first line winger. You're going to play 22 minutes a night, come hell or high water. You're our guy. We know you can do it. We've seen the numbers in the past. You're our guy. Jack Eichel, you're our number one franchise center. You had a great, you've been a great player for us so far. It's been a little bit of a tough start. You're one of the top five players in the National Hockey League. You're my guy. We're, we're going to sink or swim with you. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin, we picked you as a first overall pick. You're a tremendous young defenseman. You've got some things to learn, but we, we think you're going to be a, a great player for us. You're going to be a Norris Trophy guy. And, and then I would just I would sit down with every player and build these guys up and then they've got to go out and they've got to address, to me, they've got to address the goaltending situation because they have, you know, they have Linus Olmark, who's a good goalie, but he's, he's hurt often and he's hurt again now. And, you know, they don't have much behind, behind him. So they've got to figure that out. But that's the way I would approach it. I think they have some good players within that group. I wouldn't give up on the players, but I think they've got to have some experienced hands. And the other thing, if I was Kevin Adams, if I was the owner, I would tell Kevin Adams, listen, you're either going to hire someone that's going to come in we're either going to hire a, a, like a, a Brian Burke-like figure in Pittsburgh or a Cam Neely-like figure in Boston or somebody in that John Davidson in New York. We're going to hire somebody of that nature to come in and kind of be a mentor for you and to help you move forward. And there is a guy out there that could fit that role, Jimmy Rutherford. So, uh, but that's just one example. There are other guys. So that's the way I would go, Don, is that I would move on from the coach, find an experienced guy, guy that can uplift, bringing somebody over Kevin Adams that can help him develop as a manager, and then I would really embrace those players and try to fix the areas that need to be fixed, like the goaltending. Were you surprised that Calgary let go of Jeff Ward, especially after a 7-3 win? Oh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, it was pretty apparent that the Calgary Flames have been the same, right? They've been win one, lose one, win one, lose one, play well, play poorly. And, you know, Jeff Ward ended up as the head coach there really by happenstance, right? I mean, I think, in my, in my opinion, I thought Bill Peters was a bad hire when they hired him in Calgary. Obviously, some things happened that we didn't, no one even knew about that made it a worse hire. Mm-hmm. They ended up having to let him go. And Jeff Ward ended up as the head coach by kind of default as one of the assistants. And Jeff Ward is a, is a good man. He's been a career hockey guy. He's been an assistant coach on really good teams. I believe he was an assistant with the Bruins when they won the Cup in 2011. And he's a really good hockey guy. But nobody was ever talking about Jeff Ward as the head coach anywhere. Anywhere. So he ends up as the head coach kind of by default. It's a strange time with COVID. They bring him back. 
And now I think they realize that they need to make a move. Now, they bring in Daryl Sutter, and they bring in Daryl Sutter for a particular reason. They feel like they have a really good roster, their players, and they feel like they need to kick in the, in the you-know-what. So uh, Daryl Sutter is the guy that has a, a reputation of doing that. He's very well-known in the community. He's coached there before. He took the Flames to the Cup Finals in 2004, losing in the Game 7 to Tampa. He subsequently won two Cups with the LA Kings, and, uh, you know, he's tan, rested, and ready. So we will see if this works. But the Calgary Flames have changed coaches more than you and I changed shirts. So uh, we'll see if this is the right move. But I think he might be the right guy for the moment in Calgary, and we'll see. Because if you can just get in the playoffs in the Northern Division, you got a chance. Because that division is wide open. And I know Toronto has played great, but Calgary played some really good games against Toronto. And Calgary has a pretty good roster, and they have a real good goaltender. But they've got to be more consistent. And that's the idea of bringing in a guy like Sutter. Yeah, but that's the temptation, right? Because it's so doable to make the playoffs in that comp, in that division. And once you get into the playoffs, who knows what happens, right? I mean, Toronto seems to be the team, but Toronto's had such little success in the playoffs that why can't you believe? Oh, I'm not. I'm not scared to match up with them in a best of seven. Now, making the playoffs and not making the playoffs is a razor's edge there in the North, and and you know, I could see it. And and as you said, Sutter has had the experience in Calgary, in Los Angeles, of getting more out of his players than maybe he should, and that could just be enough for them to get in. And who knows? It's that kind of year, right? I mean, I, I yes, it is. I, listen, yes, I've been saying is. Toronto's been good, and we've been we've been trying to dissect, you know, how good teams are because they've been in this limited schedule. I don't, as good as Toronto's been, I don't know if they're Tampa. I don't, and even Tampa when they were when they were the President's Trophy winner wasn't Tampa in the first round of the playoffs against Columbus. So That's right. I can That's see right. how intoxicating right. making the playoffs is. Yeah, no question about it. And if, especially if you've invested in your roster, you know Montreal really invested in their roster when they thought things weren't going the way they wanted. They were quick to react, and there's not a lot you can do this year, right? You can't make a lot of trades. It just doesn't seem like there's a market. In a flat cap world where there might, if you trade with some of the teams, you have to worry about uh, quarantine issues. I mean, there's, there's not a lot you can do to your roster, I think, during the season. There'll be some movement at the deadline for sure, but you can't, I don't think, make major changes. So what can you do? You can change the coach. Right. And if you've made that investment like they have in Montreal and in Calgary, and both are in the North Division, right? They're both competing with one another, maybe for that final spot. That's where they see uh, a place they yeah. can improve, and so they've taken that. They've taken that chance. We'll see if it pays off. And, and listen, if you're Calgary or Montreal, unless you make a trade in your division, you're only making the trade for the playoffs, right? If you make a trade at the deadline, you're not making a trade to help you get into the playoffs, and that player can't play for you for two weeks. You're making that deal to make the playoffs. Yeah, so if you're Calgary, you're not sure you're going to make the playoffs. You're very limited in what you can do. Yep, yep. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Sam Bennett, for example, in Calgary, and, and yet nobody's pulled the trigger, right? Which tells you that it's hard to make a deal right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I'm not surprised at all about the move, though. I am a little bit surprised about Daryl. That caught me off guard because, you know, Daryl hasn't been out of it for a while, and um, he just wasn't somebody that was on my radar necessarily. But once you think about it, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, maybe Daryl can come in there and get this guy's turned around. Now he got a three-year deal, so I don't know if he'll be there at the end of that deal, but you know, yeah. they're not worried about the end of that deal because, you know what, if they don't get better, maybe no one will be there at the end of that deal. <laughs> you know, maybe there'll be new people running that franchise 
at the end of that deal. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But I think, uh, you know, the teams that are invested in their rosters, I think they're the ones that were, and you've seen it, those two teams are really invested in the, in the group they have. They both spent money in the offseason, and they think they're better, and they're hoping the coaches can make a difference. Now, try to explain something to me. You got the Devils give up 12 goals against the Rangers. And certainly the Rangers are not, you know, the, the 85 Oilers by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, there were no, so many odd no, man rushes no. in that game on Saturday. It was ridiculous. And then the same team goes to Boston and shuts out the Bruins. Now, they allowed 40 shots. I get it. Wedgwood was terrific. But what is it about the Devils or what is it about the Bruins that brings the best out of New Jersey? Donnie, what is it about the league this year? Because in these little pods of eight and teams and seven in the north, there are odd things that are happening in matchups. And, you know, in the east, this is what you brought up one of them. The Devils have had success this year against the Bruins. I believe they've won three of the four games. Yeah. The Bruins they've played against them this year. And to your point, I mean, the Rangers made them look like, uh, you know, like a ragtag group but it's happening kind of across the league. I mean, I know it's easy to say, well, everybody beats Buffalo, but the Honors have won all six games against Buffalo this year. And Buffalo has won a few other games. Like, Buffalo beats New Jersey. Yeah, it's amazing. Right? So there's another example, right? Like, New Jersey beats Boston, but can't beat Buffalo. <laughs> so I think we're seeing quite a bit of that. It's hard to explain why, other than to say that sometimes matchup. I know I say it all the time, I guess, when it comes to the playoffs, right? You've heard me say it before, injuries and matchups when it comes to a playoff series. And I think that the matchups, for whatever reason, and maybe you bring human nature into it when you, ha- when you think about the Bruins and the Devils. I mean, are the Bruins really at their best, you know, emotionally when they're playing the Devils? In this case, they were coming off a two-game, emotional two-game series against the Washington Capitals. So where was their emotional level? Now, you point out they had 40 shots, but... You know, the Devils, uh, there was a lot of one and dones in that game, and Wedgwood played well, and the Devils were able to hang on and get a one nothing victory. So it's hard to say. I would, I would just tell you that the matchups can influence these things, and we're seeing it all across the league where better teams, uh, you know, lose to teams we don't think they right. lose to multiple times. But, you know, you asked me at the start of this question how to try to explain it. I, that's the best I can do is to say that, you know, matchups sometimes – you know, our, our work in the favor of teams we don't expect. Yeah, and, and that's the way hockey is, right? I mean, like, listen, Boston had 40 shots on goal, you know, so if Wedgwood's not tr- tremendous, then they, they Boston wins the game 3-1, and we're saying, all right, well, that's normal. That's what's supposed to happen. Sometimes the goalie can be the X factor, and he certainly was yesterday. Because that's like I think like the, yeah. the the fifth highest shutout as far as um, shots faced by a Devil in franchise history. So, it wasn't like Boston didn't no. show up. Yeah, no, they, they. I mean, it's just I guess the first two games they played were in New Jersey at the start of the year. The Bruins were without Pasternak. Remember at that time they had a hard time scoring outside of the special teams. And they were both two low scoring games. Then one went to shootout. The Bruins won that one. One went. One was decided on the last second of overtime when Sharon Govich scored. Uh, as the clock was winding down to give the Devils the win. Subsequently, the teams have played two in Boston. You had the game last night, and then you had the game uh, about two weeks ago where the Devils went in there and, and were able to get the better of the Bruins. So, um, again, hard to say. I would suggest yeah. that if they play a seven-game series, Donnie, in a playoff series, I think the Bruins will find a way to be better. I would, I would think so. But, you know, stranger things have happened there. But I, I don't think the Devils are making the playoffs. Right. So I don't think Boston's got to worry about it. Okay. 
Don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because because <laughs> to me, in my neophyte eyes, as far as like you know the sport is concerned from an X's and O's standpoint, Lindy's trying to play a game that I just don't think his defensemen are capable of playing right now. I mean, I, how else do you explain all these odd man rushes? And again, the Rangers aren't going to, you know, aren't a team that produces a lot on their own. But is that just a case that Lindy's trying to play an aggressive style of D and outside of maybe a PK Subban that they just don't have the defenseman that can do that right now? Well, when Lindy was in Buffalo years and years ago, he's always tried to activate his defenseman. I mean, that's yeah, that's the way he likes to have his teams play. I think you know another thing to think about is that when the Devils face the Bruins as a group, I think they understand that they have to be extremely careful because the Bruins are who they are. So maybe they play a little bit more conservatively in that game. And Lindy actually said after the loss to the Rangers on Saturday, said, you know, we're having a discussion here. We have to clo- We have to tighten things up. We're going to make some changes. They made some changes to their lineup. And, uh, you know, they did play a more conservative, tighter defensive game, although they did give up a bunch of shots. But I thought, again, there was a lot of one and done in that game. Um, so, you know, that comes into it again as well as when you're facing an opponent that you have a real fear of, then perhaps you're like, hey, we got to really be, we got to tighten things up. We, we can't take the chances we take maybe against someone else. And then you play the Rangers, who they had success with until the last couple of games. And, you know, maybe there's just not that same healthy fear going into the game and a feeling that we yeah. can play a more wide open game. But, I mean, I watched the. You know that that game on Saturday, and the Adam Fox goal. While it was a beautiful play by Adam Fox to start the game on the power play, going right to the middle of the ice and scoring. I mean, that was a textbook example of like terrible penalty killing. I mean, to have both defensemen kind of way outside the dots, and leaving. You know, once once Fox beat, I think it was uh, the young kid on the Dell. I'm forgetting his name now. He's a fourth liner, but a butcher. Uh, and no, no, it was one of the forwards. It was the kid oh, oh forward. I'm sorry. In, yeah, I forget his name. At any rate, once he beat that player, you know, it was over. And, like, he just went in and scored. So, to me, that was, a, you know, just a terrible way to start the game. And it, it, got, it went downhill from there, and they were giving up all kinds of odd man chances. So, you just, you got to play way better than that. You got to stay inside the gosh. You got to, you got to protect the middle of the ice. The teams that, that own the middle of the ice win games in this league. And, you know, in that game, the Devils were really bad in the middle of the ice, and they paid for it. Yeah, and you were talking about the stat. You know, they're, they're clicking at sixty-five point one percent. Guys, that Nathan Nathan Bastien is the kid's name. So anyway, continue. Right. <laughs> and um, you know, they were under sixty percent the last time we spoke. So it's actually improved. But I, I used this stat on the game that I did on Thursday when the Devils were at like at, at under sixty-three percent on the kill. Now again, it's early. But still, it's very difficult sometimes when you play 20 games to be able to move the the numbers that significantly. The last time a kill was at under 70% for the season, you've got to go back to the 82-83 Kings that were like at 68 point something. I mean, so this is historically bad, this kill. Historically bad. And for a team that's limited to begin with, you know, you, you you're giving yourself no chance. Yeah, yeah, they've got to figure out. And you're right. It's because when you in a 56 game schedule, when half the season you've had that kind of bad number, I mean, you could kill every penalty between now and the end of the year, and you still might only finish at 75. percent I don't I don't know. I'm not a not a math whiz, but you know you no. have to you have to kill a lot of penalties to get that number up. So 
It's been bad. I know listening to Bryce Salver on the Devils broadcast, he's talked about the change in personnel. They have had a lot of different personnel there this year, and like they're, so they're trying. And, and it's a different year. There wasn't a real training camp, and you know, so they're trying to figure a lot of things out. But it, it definitely needs to be better. Um, I will give them a little bit of a pass for those reasons, but they've got to find a way to have it be better. You know, as they move forward in the season, just you know, incrementally better. Yes. You know, because the players now they know who they have. They've been to this. 20 games they've just got to get better and like I said I mean that play the other day you know when I believe it was Kulikov and uh and Severson that were so wide in the defensive zone like covering the flanks uh you know I just didn't get that I mean Fox just went right through the middle now maybe they had seen something in the Rangers and you know the Rangers were going to kick that puck that way and they wanted to be there but at the end of the day Fox is a smart player and yeah. He just, uh, you know, he just took he took the ice they gave him, and they boy, they gave him a lot of ice. And once he beat Bastien, he was in he was in alone, and now you're trailing one nothing before you even get going in the game. You got time for a tweet or two? Let's do a tweet or two or three. Why not? Okay. All right. Well, our old friend Chris says, uh, if Nolan Patrick in in Nolan Patrick's last 15 games, he has no points, 10 shots on goal, four of which came March 2nd against the Penguins. He's a minus seven. I gave him missed all of last year, but since he's on a one-year deal, if he doesn't improve, do the Flyers bring him back next season? Well, I think the Flyers are invested in Nolan Patrick because he was the second overall pick. Yeah, in the draft. He sure, so yeah. I think it would. I think it would be hard to say, you know. And he's had injury issues in his career, so there's there's some reason to to give him that time. But when someone is drafted so high, it's hard just to cut ties with them. So I think that uh, they will figure something out. Obviously, for Nolan, he won't be getting any kind of huge bump in salary. But, uh, you know, I'll be curious to see what happens there. Because, you know, that draft, when you look back on it, it's it's funny. The players that went three, four, and five have ended up being, you know, outstanding players, you know, in the league. You know, when you think about, uh, I guess, Pedersen was five and – uh, Hayskin was three, and uh, Kalakar was four. And I know that year that Ray Shiro had the first pick and took Nico Heischer, who's been a really good player as well, but he's he's hurt right now. But I know if the Devils had not finished with the first, let's say they had been flipped, and the Devils finished with the second pick, my understanding was that they were going to pick Kalakar. So if the Flyers took Nico Heischer. So, uh, you know, it's interesting how things play out. It hasn't really worked out so far for Nolan Patrick. He has had the injury issues, but I think the Flyers are pretty, uh, you know, they're, I think there's a, there's an attachment there that they have to give them a little bit more time. All right, and quickly one more from John. I, I think you were in lockstep with me that the Penguins were going to struggle to make the playoffs. I had them on the outside looking in yeah, in so the top I. four. So, um, so he asked the question, with 16 games remaining against the Sabres and Devils, has your opinion changed on the Penguins? They seem to always find a way to win. Well, I would say this, that uh, I don't know if it's necessarily changed, but I think you know if you have a meter, like with a needle of chances to make it, and like before I had it, let's say, you know, down, you know, and lesser, you know, I, I'd say it's like 50-50 now. I mean, because they do have that benefit of the schedule that you think, we think, is a benefit. But we just said a few minutes ago, the Bruins are beating the, I mean, the, the Devils are beating the Bruins, right? So, like, just because you have games against the Sabres and against the Devils doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win those games. And, in fact, the Penguins have had trouble with the Devils 
over the years. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out, you know, on the ice this season. But uh, I still think I still it's four teams, it's five teams from four spots. So somebody's going to be out, and I still kind of lean to Pittsburgh. But you know, I wonder about Philly right now because you know you just talked about Nolan Patrick. Uh, Carter Hart's numbers are not impressive, and I don't think you could really lean on Brian Elliott. I think Brian Elliott is good in those small doses when he's played. He's been very good in those small doses when he's played this year. But I think you really have to lean on Carter Hart, and the numbers haven't been great. And, you know, while I think Philadelphia has a deeper group than Pittsburgh, um, you know, we just saw these teams play this week three games. Pittsburgh was able to win two of them. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I think that the, the, the questioner is, is brings up a good point. The Penguins find ways to win, even when they don't play great in games. They find ways to steal points. And they've got guys that, uh, you know, have a high expectations of making the playoffs there. So, you know, maybe they get in, you know, but it's been changing. I mean, I would have to say probably the, the Penguins and the, uh, the Flyers right now, as we speak, are the two teams that are kind of in that spot mm. where they're going to one of them is in and one of them is out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Hart's been a disappointment, and, and Pittsburgh's penalty kill and power play have not been good either. So, I, I, I listen. We we acknowledge that there's. I think there's five teams going after four spots, and there's going to be a disappointed team. There's yeah. going to be a team that you know is probably better right. than a lot of other playoff teams. They're going to miss, and maybe it's Pittsburgh, maybe it's Philadelphia. Who knows? Bad couple of weeks. It, be, it, yeah, it, it I mean, could be Boston. Who you know, right? So I don't it, it think so, be, but you never know. It could be the it could be, it, it could be the Islanders even because even though they're sitting in first right now, they've been beating up the Buffalo Sabers, right? Well, when the games get tougher and they've got to play more games against Boston and Washington, you know, down the stretch. I mean, maybe those games those those points elude them, and they find that's why the that's the beauty for the Islanders is they've been. Banking these points against Buffalo. Those are huge. Like people might not well to be Buffalo. Those are huge points. That's twelve points. That that's the maximum number of points they can get in those games. Philadelphia lost the game earlier in the year to Buffalo six one. Yeah. So those are two points Philadelphia is never going to get back. No, you're right. So, you know, and, and the I mean, Islanders have played the most games so in the division to too. That's right. Yeah. So like on one hand, teams have game in hand. On the other hand, the Islanders have already banked those points. So you think they're going to get there. I mean, I like the Islanders going into the season just because I like structure. I like trots. I like their ensemble group. I mean, that Barzell goal the other day was like, oh, dear God, yeah. I don't know how – like, you call a lot of games. I don't know how – like, you just don't lose it calling that goal. I mean, that is – that was one of the craziest goals and one of the most skilled plays I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of games. But – you know, you just don't. You, it's been such a screwy year with uh, you know teams playing in these pods against one another all the time. But I, I like the Islanders going into it right now. They look good, but we got what twenty some odd games to go. So anything is possible. Anything games, is possible. Go. Thank you. I held you for a That's while. Right. I do appreciate that, and uh, I will talk right. to you Love on it, Monday. Johnny. Love it. All right. You got we'll it, talk to you friend. next week. All right, that's the great EJ Raddick. Talk to him every Monday or any other day that we do the podcast, but it's always good to get a bunch of stuff with him. We kept him a while, so I wanted to let him go, and I was going to read a couple of more tweets before uh, I get out of Dodge here, but always good to talk uh, to EJ Raddick. Um, got, um, trying to find it here as I punch it up on my iPad. There was a tweet that I got from a Ranger fan. Uh, CJ says, if you're David Quinn, do you go back to Kincaid tomorrow night? Now, what's interesting about that is, in normal circumstances, I would. Uh, Georgiev looked a little bit overwhelmed. 
Um, I'm not sure how long Shesterkin's going to be out. He's listed as day-to-day, but I would think Georgiev is going to get a bulk of the work. And Kincaid gave up a couple of goals late, but I wouldn't say either one was his fault. One was a complete defensive breakdown on a 2-1-1. Another one was batted out of the air and then poked home by Aston Reese. So I would probably give Kincaid the start. However, I think part of Georgiev is... And his problem is he hasn't played a lot. Remember, he was the third man out last year. This year he's split in time with Shesterkin. Maybe this guy just needs to play a bunch of games and get into a little bit of a groove here. So I'm kind of torn myself um, because Georgiev's got to get a chance to play. Now, that was the second of back-to-backs. You don't have that for a little while here. You play every other day pretty much the rest of the month. I'm, I don't know. Uh, I I think I would probably still go with Kincaid because there's going to be opportunities for Georgiev here. I don't think Shesterkin's going to be back immediately. Um, I think I go with Kincaid. I think he played pretty well. Um, he made a couple of stops on breakaways to keep it a 3-1 game. I thought that was important. So I think I would probably go with Kincaid. Tommy says, did you watch the Mighty Ducks movies with Marco and Jalen yet? Also, great job Saturday morning with uh, Rothenberg. Make sure you give Game Misconduct a plug while you're on the show. And that's right, um, Crash the Net. And that's going to be on 7 o'clock in the morning on Saturdays. I'm going to try to be a guest as often as possible, but definitely listen to that as uh, you know, we're trying to give as much hockey love on the station as we can. So great job by Dave doing that, talking about all three local teams in the New York metropolitan area. So if you're around 98.7 on Saturday in New York, uh, 7 o'clock in the morning Eastern, that's going to be where you're able to catch Dave and his hockey show. All right, let's take a look quickly at the games that we're going to have coming up uh, a little bit later on tonight in the National Hockey League. You're going to see on this Monday, kind of a busy Monday, you're going to see the um, Golden Knights and the Wild from Minnesota, the Sharks and the Blues from San Jose. The Canadians are in Vancouver to take on the Canucks. Senators will try to make it two in a row. They'll be in Edmonton to take on the Oilers. Avalanche home for the Coyotes and the Kings are at the Ducks. So we've got a very, very busy hockey day today. We are going to talk to you again coming up on Wednesday. You want to get in touch with me? Best way to do that is at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. We will talk to you again on Wednesday. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.